nós não passamos a mão na cabeça de ninguém. Eu sou favorável à tortura, tu sabe disso. Eu sei o que é passar fome. Imagine that Lula uh, could send me to puta que pariu. On September 6th, far-right presidential candidate Jair Bolsonaro was being carried on the shoulders of his supporters when a man stabbed him in the stomach with a kitchen knife. At first, Mr. Bolsonaro's son said that the wound was superficial and that he would quickly be back on his feet. But as time passed, we realized that the problem was more serious and, according to doctors, even life-threatening when he got to the hospital. The attack on Jair Bolsonaro is just the latest on a series of acts of political violence that include the assassination of Marielle Franco, a former Rio de Janeiro city councilor, and the shots fired at the campsite where former President Lula was campaigning in April. How did things get so bad and where do we go from here? My name is Gustavo Ribeiro and this is Explaining Brazil. <music> With me, as usual, is Diogo Rodrigues, staff writer at the Brazilian Report. Hello, Diogo. Hello, Gustavo. Diogo, can you bring us a brief recap of what exactly happened with Jair Bolsonaro just before the Independence Day holiday in Brazil? Well, like you said, he was stabbed in the stomach and he was rushed to the hospital immediately. Doctors found that his intestines had perforations in three different places. It was quite a serious injury, as a matter of fact. Now he's stable and he's recovering, but, uh, you know, his injury will put him out of the campaign trail, at least for the next few weeks, leading to the election day on, on October 7th. And he still has to do another surgery, according to his doctors. And so uh, he's quite in a bad shape and won't be participating in the campaign anymore. Nevertheless, in a way, we can say that his campaign has gone back to its comfort zone, right? Social media, where he thrives better than the, his competition. Yes, exactly. He, he's, he's known for not liking debates and, and interviews. So uh, going back to Facebook and WhatsApp groups is where he likes to be at the most. So it's going to be something, you know, nothing changes for him. And what do we know about the attacker so far? The attacker, uh, Adelio Bispo de Oliveira, is a 40-year-old man. He's very religious, and he said he stabbed Bolsonaro after getting orders from God. Some people try to link him with, you know, an, the extreme left right after the attack. But, you know, uh, further investigation showed that he was just, you know, he was someone who was very dis disturbed and he didn't have any deep political motivations to attack Mr. Bolsonaro. He's being prosecuted under the national security law, which is a law that dates back to the military dictatorship, right? It was aimed at unions and protesters, and now it's being used for cases against, well, what we call against national security, right? Yes, I guess they, they, they decided to prosecute him under that law because Mr. Bolsonaro is a presidential candidate, so they, they thought they, they needed some special legislation in order to, to deal with this case. What, what is funny is that the biggest penalty in this case is 10 years. And if he was prosecuted for attempted murder, he could get much, a much harsher sentence, actually. So it's, it's, it's kind of intriguing. And uh, Diogo, we know that Brazil is a really violent country. And the latest numbers show that over 63,000 murders were registered last year. This kind of violence, though, in the middle of the presidential campaign against the front-runner of the race, well, that's kind of unprecedented. How do things got so bad in Brazil? 
Well, you know, you have to uh, take into account things that have been already happening over the years. This is not the first time a political party or a political figure is attacked. For instance, in 2014, I'm not talking only about physical violence, but I'm talking about political and, and symbolic violence as well. And in 2014, the Social Democrats who lost the election, they didn't accept the result. They called for foul play, although they didn't have any proof of voter fraud and nothing was ever found. And they started to spur some movements, the movements that led to Dilma Rousseff's impeachment. I mean, it's not the only not the only thing that's led us to this polarization, but it's one of the main events uh, that, and that happened in the last election. In 2016, we had a very controversial impeachment process that divided the country, divided politics, and the left wingers started to raise the tone, called it a coup. And, you know, there was a reaction from the other sector of society that didn't think it was a coup. So we have another chapter in our polarization right there. Yeah, uh, the problem with the impeachment is that one side said, well, you guys are coup mongers, anti-democratic. And the other said, well, the left is made only by corrupt crooks. So how can you start a dialogue when the other party is either an anti-democratic fascist or a corrupt crook. I mean, talk about burning bridges, right? Exactly. And even politicians like Fernando Henrique Cardoso and Lula uh, adhered to this kind of uh, logic and they didn't help anything by, you know, staying on, on opposite sides polarized. And this year, this is not the first episode we've seen with Mr. Bolsonaro. And in 2018, like you said, we've had some serious cases. Lula's caravan was attacked in, in the beginning of the year. Marielle Franco was murdered in cold blood. She was shot many times. And now Mr. Bolsonaro was attacked with a knife. It's a worrisome scenario for all Brazilians and all, and all people who believe in democracy. And the problem for me is that we have seen violence escalating. And actually, when I, I try to look down the road, I don't see things getting much better right now. I don't, I don't see the election hailing the country whatsoever because... The first response from Mr. Bolsonaro's camp was, well, this was uh, an attack uh, ordered by the Workers' Party, even if there was absolutely no evidence of that. And then people on his party saying that, well, now it's war. And uh, on the following day, Mr. Bolsonaro's VP nominee, which we must remember is a general, a former army general who last year called for a military coup d'etat. Uh, he was saying that, well, in the case of anarchy, the military could get back to power. So those are really frightening things to hear considering Brazil's 20th century history. I mean, we had almost a dozen uh, either ruptures or attempted ruptures with the democratic order. I mean, uh, I cannot feel very optimistic right now. Yeah, it's hard to be optimistic. I mean, we have to be alert. And I, I also like to, to remind us of the other attacks that the left suffered. I think I forgot to mention those. In, in 2015, the worker, Workers' Party headquarters in Junjai were burned. And uh, months later, the party national headquarters, which is which are located here in Sao Paulo, in the downtown Sao Paulo, suffered a, bo a botched bomb attack. And a few months later, in July, the Lula Institute was hit by a pipe bomb that left a very big hole in the garage door. There was no one there. Uh, it was in the middle of the night. And so this, these are some just some more episodes that, you know, uh, bring the scenario that we have today, you know, of potential violence and practical violence.
Yeah, exactly. And people talk about pacifying Brazil. How? Well, we hope the election will will do some of that. I mean, we're not very optimistic about it in Brazil. Si political scientists are not very optimistic. But I guess, you know, once the election is over, we will have some new uh, alignment, political alignment, in which we can fall back on and, you know, try to bring back again the language of democracy to the polit political debate. Yeah, but we've been there in 2014, and that, that didn't exactly. happen. Exactly, exactly. And, and that, bring, going back to the election, I think whoever wins, uh, I think, like, the speech to celebrate the, the victory is going to be very important is going to set the tone because I remember in 2014 when Dilma Rousseff won re-election after a very hard-fought, vicious campaign from both sides. Her speech was never into trying to mend fences or bury a hatchet. It was only doubling down in the divisions, in the things that separate different political groups. So I think whoever wins the election, and depending on who wins, that's going to be harder. The president-elect must send signals to the losing party that, okay, let's try to find some common ground. Because as it is, it's not working, and it's not working neither for the left nor for the right. It's it's just a mess, and uh, nobody can get things done, because uh, the more divided we are, the less support in Congress the president will have, so he won't be able to pass his agenda, and it's a vicious cycle. Uh, if we don't get things done, we will get further uh, engulfed by the economic crisis, which lead to social problems. I mean, and yeah, the next president will have to be someone who can make compromises and on, on a national level. And that's why we have to be very, very alert uh, about the House of Representatives election. We, I mean, what's going to be, who's going to be, how's the House going to look like next year? Is it going to be the same as it was in the last four years? Are we going to have a realignment? I mean, everything leads, I mean, everything indicates that we'll have something close to what we have now. So we're going to need someone who can conciliate different interests. Yeah. Speaking of the next president... We have new polls that were conducted after the attack on Jair Bolsonaro. So we kind of know already the first impacts on voters' minds. And right after the attack, a lot of analysts said, well, now Bolsonaro's presidential bid got even stronger because he's going to get sympathy votes. Brazilians are traditionally uh, fond of the underdog. So that's why our political debates are such a doozers because nobody wants to attack the other, make the other look like a poor guy, and then uh, uh, get people to give him pity votes. That's not what happened, right, according to Datafolha? No, uh, Bolsonaro, only uh, he, he's up only by two points. That's uh, slightly outside of the margin of error. That means that he has not been able to capitalize on that episode. And I mean, that, that might have some interpretations that we can list here but one of the things is is it wasn't exactly a political attack on him because like we said the attacker was someone who's mentally disturbed is not someone who was sent by another party another candidate well he was sent by god according to him oh yeah <laughs> the, well i mean <laughs> bolsonaro will have to you know quarrel with god on that one and uh 
So uh, I think that's that's one of the reasons he wasn't able to to capitalize on that because it wasn't something very dramatic. I mean, it was dramatic, but it wasn't politically dramatic. So uh, he wasn't able to conquer any outside votes out of what, whatever he already has right now. One thing that is interesting, though, and that's why this campaign is so crazy. So Bolsonaro grows a little bit. At the same time, his rejection rates go high by four points from 39 to 43. So almost half of voters say that they wouldn't vote for Bolsonaro no matter what. At the same time, his Achilles heel has been women's votes. And he has grown among women. So this election gets harder and harder to explain. I mean, there's no logic whatsoever. And... Uh, We see Bolsonaro growing, but we also see every single competitive candidate growing, with the exception of Marina Silva. Marina Silva drops outside of the margin of error, and everyone else among the top five. So I'm talking about Ciro Gomes, center-left, Marina, center, Geraldo Alckmin, center-right, Fernando Haddad, who, starting now is officially the candidate of the Workers' Party, um, replacing Lula, who has been barred from uh, the the political race, and Jair Bolsonaro in the far right. So everybody grows except Marina, and even growing Bolsonaro gets more rejection. Well, yeah, because I think, well, he's he has a limit. There's a limit to his growth. I mean, he hasn't been able to surpass... A quarter of the population and, and voters' preferences, so I think that's that might that might be the, the you know his the ceiling. And at the same time, he has a high rejection rate because he's very controversial. He's very violent in his speech, and people in Brazil do not like that very much. We're actually seeing some women's movements starting to rise up against Bolsonaro. There's a protest scheduled for uh, the 29th of September at Largo da Batata, women against Bolsonaro. Largo da Batata in Pinheiros, yes. in downtown São Paulo. Yeah, forget. <laughs> in São Paulo here, and, and, and a very noble na neighborhood in São Paulo, and a place that's traditionally uh, uh, where the left goes to demonstrate. And uh, there's, a, there's also a group on Facebook with 700,000 people There, it's also called Women Against Bolsonaro. So that shows a little bit of what he's going to face from now on. And people start, I think, it's starting to to uh, wake up to to the, the elections because they're they're they they were kind of you know lukewarm right up until Bolsonaro got attacked. And now I think that he's going to see he's going to have a harder time growing with uh, Adaji becoming you know the official candidate and with the campaign hitting its last weeks at least for the first uh, round. Yeah, but at the same time, I think Bolsonaro is all but guaranteed in the second round, in my estimations, because Geraldo Alckmin, he's the center-right candidate. His only way to get to the second round was by hitting Bolsonaro and hitting hard. So his campaign on TV and uh, radio was always tackling Bolsonaro and his image and his persona. He cannot do that right now. He would not rub voters the, the good way if he continued attacking the guy who has just been stabbed. So he pulled a lot of his negative campaign ads and um, has just insisted in showing how Alckmin could be a moderate, could be a voice of moderation in these times of polarization. That has a limit as well, because 
as much as Haddad is growing, he's not growing among Bolsonaro voters. Yes. So uh, Alckmin and Bolsonaro, they fight for the same electorate. Haddad and Ciro Gomes, the guy from the Democratic Labour Party, they fight for another piece of the electorate. So now I think Jair Bolsonaro, just a catastrophe from his part, would, would take him from the second round. And now we have the Workers' Party with Fernando Haddad and Ciro Gomes fighting for the second spot, the spot which belongs to the center-right, uh, traditionally. I think Haddad is the favorite. I think when you have uh, Lula in your corner, it's pretty hard to miss the second round. Yes, I mean, we've seen that with Dilma Rousseff, especially on the 2014 election when she was, you know, heavily attacked and she had a hard time uh, winning Aysu Neves from the Social Democratic Party. So I think that Lula is going to be a very decisive factor from now on. Many analysts are saying that uh, Adaji is a very strong candidate for reaching, for getting to the second uh, round of the election. I won't dare to make any second round predictions because right now we don't even know who is going to be there and It's another election. I mean, it's impossible to predict. Uh, for me, the best chance for Bolsonaro is facing off against the Workers' Party, and the best chance of the Workers' Party is facing off against Bolsonaro. So for me, all bets are off in the case of that second-round scenario. For the Workers' Party, that's me talking, but I think it would be it would be good if they had Geraldo, someone like Geraldo Alckmin on the second round because PSDB is, is, is a... The, the Social Democratic Party is a, uh, has, has been losing elections for the PT for the past four elections. And so uh, the PT knows how to deal with them, let's say like that. Bolsonaro is very unpredictable. We don't know what he's going to do, and we don't know how the country is going to behave in a campaign uh, with only two contenders and, and a second-round campaign, which we know historically is very different from what happens in the first round. So... I don't know. I mean, that's a very uh, good hypothesis, but it, everything's so unpredictable that it's, it's, I mean, it's hard to say anything right now. For, for me, uh, what leads me to say that is that uh, a lot of people who would never vote for the Workers' Party might consider doing so if the other guy was Bolsonaro. So I think that uh, that goes both ways, actually. I think a lot of people who just reject the Workers' Party more than anything, would vote for Bolsonaro, not because of what he brings to the table, but just to avoid having a, yet another uh, left-wing administration. But uh, that's we're going to see. And uh, the next weeks of campaigns are going to be crucial. Yeah, and at the same time, Adagi is the one who beats Bolsonaro on the second term, according to the polls, by the the, the, the smallest margin. So it's uh, yeah, but people don't know yet who he is. <laughs> I mean, a lot of voters still call him Andrade. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, wait two weeks and let's see the polls again. <laughs> yeah, we're just trying to predict stuff right now. Well, th if the election has shown something, is that it is unpredictable. Thanks, Jogu. I, I guess we are a bit of, out of time now. Thank you. If you like this podcast, please take a look at our website. It's Brazilian.report. Every day we have new content about Brazil's politics, economics, and society. We also have exclusive newsletter services if you want to be briefed on what's going on in Brazil before starting your day. 
Subscribe now to our free trial and enjoy all of our content for 14 days. It's really for free. You don't have to put any credit card information. You can also follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Our handle is at Brazilian Report. That's all for now. See you next week. Mm -hmm.